Hi friends, Addison here. Our break is nearly at an end. Wander in Rome will return a week from today on October 4th. We wanted to jump in here with a short introduction to our characters for anyone tuning in for the first time. We're overjoyed to have you and encourage you to listen back to season one. For both new and longtime listeners, there's a sneak peek of episode one of season two in which we are joined by the delightful Jay Dragon, the author of the Wanderhome game, at the end of the introductions. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome back to the Heath. Aldern Feathersby stands in an empty bedroom in a silent house. He is an old owl. His once sleek brown feathers are now grey and worn with age. He wears a brown leather blazer, the elbows patched and buttons dangling from thread, and a pair of thick, scratched gold spectacles. Aldern shoulders his blue and grey messenger bag and opens the door. On the way down the hall, his eyes fall upon a beloved picture, capturing he and his wife Mary in the shade of an apple tree. Something stirs within the picture, and from the boughs of the tree flutters a bird. The bird exits the frame and lands upon Alden's shoulder. Examining the bird, it appears to be almost flat and painted. He smiles and says, Who are you, little one? And the bird tweets in response. It is called Aya, and it is the small and forgotten god of a misplaced kiss. They need his help to find another loving couple upon whom to bestow their blessings, and Alden is happy to oblige. As he leaves the home, he finds more tiny gods in his once boisterous dwelling. Dulcet, the god of tiny melodies, lives within the piano where he taught his children to play. Seneth, the god of a single sunbeam, on the rug where his pet grasshopper used to nap on sunny afternoons. Yacht, the god of a child's first snowfall, lives in the window panes from where he watched his children frolic on a winter's day. Climbing down the stairs, he hears something stir and rustle beneath the aged wooden steps. He peeks under and nearly recoils. Within is a small, shadowy being, about the size of a fist, wild and feral. Aldern does not recognize this god as he had the others. It nips at him, and Aldern recoils intent to leave, but as he does, he hears a whimpering. Turning, the small and feral nameless god has followed a distance. Aldern hesitates, but bends down and reaches out a tentative hand. The nameless god approaches, slowly but eventually, warily, settles into his palm. Aldern Feathersby, caretaker of small and forgotten gods, makes his way down the road.
Squeakers Onassis rode on the back of Cracker Jack along a long and dusty road. It wasn't but three days ago that he was exiled from his hometown of Stuperville, which was so named due to it being founded by one Marvin Ville near fourscore and some years ago. Now, to the business about the exiling. Torn nothing. You see, Squeakers had found himself accused of the high crime of betraying traditions and, during a subsequent trial, lying under oath. Now, Squeakers would be the first to tell you that the only crime that he was guilty of was falling in love with the wrong person at the wrong time. And perhaps a bit of grand larceny on account of the rose that he stole out of Mrs. Percy's yard to give to Susie. But none of that mattered now because what's done is done. I guess all that was left for a cowboy to do was keep pressing forward down the dusty trail. The fire cackles and dances merrily in the fireplace, providing just enough light for Raindrop to see the beautifully illustrated pages of her favorite storybook. Nestled amongst her mother and siblings in a sea of snoring cotton balls, Raindrop is the last one awake and completely enthralled. The end came way too quickly, and even her polite requests for another story were met with denial. <sighs> Off to bed she was sent. However, when she was sure the family was asleep, Raindrop sneaks out of bed and waddles to the book. Removing it from the shelf, she grabs her box of crayons and makes a few colorful additions. The brave hero was now accompanied by an equally brave, nay, braver, duckling named Raindrop, who also longed for adventure. The next day, Raindrop grabs the book and waddles off to school. She was eager to show her friends both the story and her part in it. Amidst the throng of chatter and laughter from the other kids at recess, Raindrop begins searching for her friends, only to bump into the notorious school bullies. They quickly snatch the book, roughly tearing through the pages and notice the recent drawings. With hoots of laughter, they make fun of her art, spectating that she would be a horrible hero. How could she, who is so foolish and naive, ever hope to travel new lands and defeat evil? With a final cackle, they toss the book into the bushes and walk away. Dejected, Raindrop climbs into the bushes in search of the book, and hears a soft, tinkling sound. Moving a branch aside, Raindrop discovers a small, purple light. There, a small and forgotten god lay in the twigs. I think you could be a hero if you wanted, says the light. My name is Seedy, and I would love to accompany you on a journey to prove them wrong. Raindrop agrees. Far away in the north country, atop an old hill, in an old castle, sits an old groundhog, hiding. A storm rages outside and he hears a faint buzzing some distance away. His name is Hamish. Recently, Hamish's estranged brother Hector passed away, and by some sort of insect intuition, Hector's swarm of bees have found Hamish and claimed them as their own. Hamish has run from the forest to the city to the tops of the mountains to get away, but to no avail. Every time he turns, 
Bumbles. Bumbles everywhere. Now in the halls of this decrepit mansion, he seems to be alone. He seems, but he is not. A few steps forward, a few steps back, a few steps to the side, and Hamish, catching his foot on a loose stone, tumbles down an old narrow staircase of which he was woefully unaware. Tumbling down the stairs, he reaches the bottom, opens his eyes, and sees a glimmering pile of gold. Eager for this opportunity, Hamish scrambles, but as he pulls away the coins, what is revealed shocks him. Underneath the pile of old, old currency is an old, old man. So old, in fact, that all remains is bones. All is bones, and all bones is alones. Hamish looks down and looks up and heaves a heavy sigh as the buzz comes down the stairs and he is lifted up and he is carried out and 100 bees carry Hamish across the sea. Next week on Wander and Rome. As our friends wind their way across the heath, the seasons change alongside them. The cool and rainy days of monsoon giving way to the clear and bright blue meadow. The blazing sun of Devil's Day and the cooler days of swarming and gatling. The days begin to shorten, dusk creeping in earlier and earlier every day. We join our friends on an overcast day on the last day of Silt, the nameless day. A vast and dilapidated city is built on the edge of a river. The once proud and elaborate buildings crumble in disrepair. The grounds are overgrown and untended, and wild bugs buzz and leap from ruin to ruin. On a gate that arches over the bridge crossing the river, is an ornate sign that once read Summer Palace, a remnant of better days. Floodwaters pour through the center streets, and our friends watch as, in the cemetery, a coffin rises through the mud and begins to float down the street. Welcome to Umer Palace. Music for Wander and Rome is written and performed by Gary Argyle. Wander in Rome is produced by Winterhawk Podcasts and Gary Argyle. For more great shows, visit winterhawkpodcasting.com. <laughs>